Welcome to the Queen Margaret Academy podcast. Um, today, uh, our guest is Ailey Mackay. Hi. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, this is my first podcast, so please bear with us. Uh, you know. Um, okay, so the, the purpose of this podcast today um, is that we're going to outline the an experience which isn't very prominent in children um, in Scotland. Uh, it's going to be about a cancer journey, so before, during and after. And here we have Ailey Mackay, uh, a patient of two different types of cancer. So Ailey, w- would you care to outline your diagnosis? Yeah. Um, so on the 2nd of June 2016, I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukaemia and on the 19th of February 2019, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, so I was 14 and 17. Okay. Yeah. So, right, to start off with, let's, let's take it back. Um, could you give us a wee summary of uh, what life was like before cancer, before you had any symptoms? Uh, what were your hobbies? What kind of things did um, you enjoy? So, I just started the academy and was super shy so didn't have many friends and was just getting on with school work and all that jazz really. Did, did you have any, any hobbies or stuff you did at um, Getting into third year I started getting into special effects makeup which is probably one of the biggest things that I did at the time as I got very curious into that and started expanding my progress of that. <laughs> right. um, wh- when did, you, sorry this is a very different topic, but wh- when did you and your mum kind of realise something was wrong medically? Um, so I had just finished third year and had just received my S4 timetable when I was in the process of kind of developing serious lung pain which had been going on since April 2016 um, so that was going on for a while and we just kind of took it as dad had a strain or something I used to say I had a punctured lung that was my excuse of getting out of PE um, but that was going on for a while then I got bad leg cramp which made me struggle to walk getting closer to ending S3 because I could hardly walk to school but um, we went back and forth from the doctors and yeah they just kind of dismissed it or they just said I was ill but I'd also caught a bad stomach bug which probably didn't help in the mix of it so it was just a a bad time (laughs) for me really So so when you first went to the doctors um, you went repeatedly didn't you? So, so what, what was your first diagnosis from the doctor? What did they well, when they first diagnosed? properly looked into it, I was diagnosed with asthma, and that was why I had lung pain. And I was diagnosed with growing growing cramps, growing, growing, growing pains. Growing pains. And that's why I had sore legs. So that was my two diagnoses. So, so the, this is referred to as a misdiagnosis? Yes. And is is this common? Yeah, this is very common within the cancer community of children. Most children that have cancer, because it's not as 
not as common. Most doctors, they know about it, but probably don't think it's the obvious answer. So they kind of find other problems that possibly it could be. So most of the time we could be going a few months misdiagnosed with something until we properly get a good check out, which usually involves bloods or biopsies. So, yeah. And, and so how long were you under the impression that um, all you had was asthma? And From probably the start of April to about, well, till, until I was diagnosed, which was June. So a few months. And how did the diagnosis come about? Um, um, well, I became very like unwell and had quite a lot of bad pain because um, it was it was not long after my dad's birthday and that day was spent just at A&E really mm. um, but it was my mum took me to A&E and they decided that I should go to Cross House really to just get a further check up but I don't really remember most of it because I slept full way there <laughs> and got wheeled about in a wheelchair because I couldn't walk in it. So that's the main part I can remember. Mm. But I got bloods taken there and that was the first set of bloods I got done over the months that I'd been kind of getting pain. And that was probably the end of May. Because mm. um, I sent a photo of the cannula to my dad and was like, look what I got. Um, but yeah, we stayed the night there, and that was that was kind of when it started the kind of whirlwind disaster. Could you just explain to us what a cannula is? Sorry. It's like a a needle that goes into your arm that stays there. Okay. And it's where you get drugs administered straight into the vein. Straight into the vein. Right. Yeah. So that this is hospital, <laughs> <laughs> hospital terms. I've I've no idea. No a lot. Um. So, at this point, you were diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic. Oh, I wasn't diagnosed yet. You weren't diagnosed yet. No. <laughs> so I got blood taken and I stayed the night in Cross House, and I ate Rice Krispies all night, and then we woke up in the morning. Me and Mum, because she stayed with me. And we got put in an ambulance and were raced up to Glasgow Central Hospital. And in the process of this, I was trying to carry a full machine that was attached <laughs> to every part of my body, basically, without falling out of the chair because we were driving very fast. Um, and then I was brought into the ward, the cancer ward, which we didn't know was a cancer ward at the time. We just thought we were going for it. For a nice visit to the hospital to get, <laughs> to get my problems solved, but yeah. it obviously didn't turn out that way. Yeah. So, so, were you diagnosed at the super hospital? Yeah. Okay. And so at this point, you you were told that you would have to stay. No, well, eh, uh, well, when we first went in, it was like quite a. I didn't really know what was going on because it's quite a huge hospital, so. Mm-hmm. We, we got taken up and I was put in room one, which is right beside the nurse's bay. And that was my doctor, Nick, said to my mum about my diagnosis. But when he told my mum, she thought that was the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And then, then he finally kind of was like, no, no, that's what she's got. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which was a shock, obviously. Um, but once you get told, we got told, we went to the Teenage Cancer Trust section of it and stayed in room six. And that's when you kind of start treatment straight away. And so, so what were your first impressions of the hospital when you got it's off? It's huge. Huge. <laughs> yeah. It's built like a race car course. So it's like a, a circle with a circle inside of it. So mm. it's very confusing. There's lots of corridors and lots of doors. So yeah. I guess a bit confusing. But the ward, um, looking back on it, at the time I didn't like it, but looking back it is a very nice ward. And it's, it's as nice as a hospital could be. It's not like the scary ones in <laughs> horror films. It's nice and colourful, so it's, it's a good place to be and it's got nice people in it. So, at the time, did you feel intimidated? No, it was just scary. I didn't want to be scary. there. I wanted mm-hmm. to be at home. And of course. Yeah. I blamed a lot of the people that were treating me because they were the one that brought the bad news. So, yeah. very stressful, but oh well. Gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> So um, you're up at the super hospital. Uh, yeah. W- what happened next with your treatment? So we went to room six and we started the chemo process, which um, I got a line put in for, which is a line that goes to my heart, or somewhere around there. don't know where, where it goes, but uh, chemo got through that. Um, I need four weeks of intense chemotherapy for teenagers to try and keep as much of it as much as fast as possible. Okay. Um, so it's common knowledge that chemotherapy can have quite a heavy effect on yeah. someone. Um, would you be alright to explain to us the kind of effects that it maybe had on you over time, over the four weeks? Um, well, extreme nauseous. So very, 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 very sick. Um, obviously, hair loss is a big factor to getting chemotherapy. So I kept my hair in pleats for the four weeks and refused to brush it, so it didn't fall out. <laughs> so it was more just stuck to my head. Um, and extreme tiredness. Like so, when my wee sister would come up to the hospital and would want to like play pool on the TCT, I was just like not having it. Couldn't move. Um, and just like weakness because obviously it's killing your immune system so you're just ugh it's the best word to describe it <laughs> sounds like a nightmare um, what is <laughs> so, uh, how are you feeling mentally at this point Um, duh, I don't know I can't even yeah, think no. of it probably just a bit disconnected from the borrowed and yeah. just like Hate life. Cool. The most of it. And and that would have been when you um stopped going to school for Yeah. Like, well yeah. Practically coming up to like the well, I was just meant to be going into fourth year, so it was summer holidays. Yeah. So it was very warm as well and they had no air conditioning. <laughs> so it wasn't great. Oh. So so um at this point after the chemotherapy from past conversations we've had, I know that things went downhill yeah. at this point, didn't they? Um, yeah, big time. Would you care to describe what happened? Um, so the chemo was so aggressive that it burst my gut. So I was ended up getting taken to intensive care. 
um, and was put in really strong drugs to help, but it wasn't, they didn't really know it burst until they, like, took MRI scans and CT to realise that it was burst, but I was, like, on a minimum of sucking water out of a sponge, and that was basically all I could eat. <laughs> I see. So, um, is an MRI scan similar to an X-ray, or is it...? Um, yeah, but it like looks and it can like see more in depth of like what's going on in the organ side of it. Okay, right. Um, so after the problem with your gut, yeah. Um, what was the course of action that the doctors took? Um, well, I was so doped up in drugs that I was just not there. Mm. Um, and I got put into a sedated coma, and received life saving surgery. So that must have been tough for your parents. Were, yeah. Were they part of the decision? Or? Yeah, because I was completely out of it. So they okay. they signed my life away, really, and hoped mm-hmm. that I would come out for the better, which I did. But yeah. <laughs> still probably was quite a stressful decision to make. Yeah. So um, going on to your period of coma. Yeah. Um, do you... What it tells about what it was like when after you woke up because I'm assuming during the coma it's just blank Um, so I woke up two months later (laughs) 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 yeah Yeah. two months later I woke up and I thought I'd just been for a nice wee night's sleep it was a very very good night's sleep but (laughs) lasted a bit longer than one night Um. And I was still kind of doped up. <laughs> I didn't know where to kind of come out of it, but like my memory going back to it, you can't really remember much because it was so, because I was on so much meds. So really it was like, it's when I came off them, when I can remember it. So um, I just remember my mum asking me what the date was and I had said like the, like 20-somethings of June yeah. or the start of July. But it was like halfway through August. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> Bit of a shock there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after your um, life saving surgery and medically induced coma, yeah. um, you would have had to relearn more or less everything. Uh, yeah, so. because I was not like moving. Throughout the two months, it was hard for me to regain strength fast, and because of like the chemo and the surgery and all the other operations that I had, mm-hmm. I just nah couldn't move. So yeah, I had to, I had a tracheostomy put in, which is a tube into the, like, we took it in your throat. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> um, but I was ventilated through that and. So I couldn't speak because that blocked my voice box. Mm. So I had to lip, just lip words, and my mum had to learn to lip read. And my dad was rubbish at it, so she, my mum was the translator really from those conversations. Mm. And I had to read board of the, the alphabet, and they had to point to the letters, and I had to like blink yeah. when they got to the one to spell out a word. So they could be there all day really just to spell out one word. That sounds infuriating. Yeah, it was. But, like, I got 
taken off eventually after after quite a while and I had a wee this wee thing that could put an end to my trachiostomy which allowed me to speak so it was a lifesaver when I got that back and I got very very intense chemo not chemotherapy physiotherapy <laughs> um, to yeah. help with my legs and arms so I enjoyed most when I was able to hold my phone yeah. and use my thumb to type even though I could be there all day mm-hmm. like, I, I liked that part when I could actually message people when you could do something yeah um, so t- maybe to brighten up a little bit it's uh, <laughs> quite dark um, is anything from that period of time um, before the coma or um, after the coma at that sort of point did anything stick with you that you didn't expect to uh, well I have a lot of stories from PICU from PICU do you, yeah. do you want to tell us one um, so what one's the best sorry can you just refresh my memory what's PICU um, intensive PIC intensive care unit pediatric yeah. intensive care unit got it okay <laughs> yeah that um, so from PICU. one of the best stories um, I was reported you were reported? What, nurse, what yeah. were you reported for? Swearing. <laughs> for swearing? Oh, it's yeah. understandable to yeah. swear at that point. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I was off my face and swore, so I got oh, reported dear. to the sister of the ward. The sister? Yeah, like, so that's like the head nurse. Ah, I see. Yeah. So yeah, I got reported to her. Oh dear. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's one. Yeah. Um, uh, Ronan Keaton came to try and visit me. <laughs> Ronan Keaton. He's so. from. Um, <laughs> He's from a band of some yeah, kind, isn't Blue? he? No. Blue. Maybe. Oh dear. We'll yeah. we'll we'll leave Blue. you guys to remember that. Blue. <laughs> Blue. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to see him. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. So oh, the nurses man. tried to force me to see him because they wanted to meet him, but. I couldn't be bothered meeting them. <laughs> so I passed the opportunity of meeting a celebrity. Oh, they must have been gutted. They were. So they left and they went to visit them. <laughs> oh dear. So it sounds like there was quite a good atmosphere. Um, mm. No? Um, <laughs> when you're in my room, yeah. Okay. Had yeah. a great atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was the liveliest patient because obviously when you're in intensive care, it's not usually for the best reasons. So. Yeah. Most people are kind of doped up. Then you came into the Mackay's room and it was <laughs> party central. Excellent. Yeah, doped up in drugs and just loving life. <laughs> um, I was the favourite patient, oh. I would say. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Of course. So um, you're leaving PICU. Yeah. Um, and things were looking up. So. Yeah. Um, and you were getting to go home oh not this far ahead not this far no okay so we got back up to the ward and that was just before my 15th birthday that was one thing i was desperate to get up from 15th birthday because i used to go on day visits (laughs) to the ward it's like i'd I'd be intensive care and like people would like be wanting out and like go home but i just wanted to day visit back to the cancer ward so they used to take my bed and wheel me (laughs) through the ward (laughs) 
Wow. Just so I could wave to the nurses. Yeah. Like, I'm coming back soon. <laughs> so yeah, I got up for my 15th birthday. Um, and that was good because all my family could come up and see me for it. Oh, and cool. yeah, so then it was just basically staying there for quite a few months. Because um, it was the May I left. Yeah. So I was in quite a few more months. Yeah. Oh, so I got sorry. back up in October. So, so what what were your favourite times in the ward? Um, spending the time in the TCT, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Playing pool, listening to the jukebox, yeah. which stopped working after about four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and playing Xbox. Do you have any favourite games on the Xbox? GTA. GTA, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, so, so have you... Sorry to ask this question again, but have you got any stories from the wards that... Um, um, maybe start with you? There's probably so many. Yeah. Yeah, I got a bike. You got a bike? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting <laughs> gift. When, <laughs> when I was getting busy off, I was like the wee kids, <laughs> the wee kids like the toddlers, like when they couldn't walk. Obviously, they could like it was easier for them to walk because they were only like like they were small. Yeah. So they got trikes, um. but obviously when you you have a six f- fifteen year old <laughs> six foot patient, <laughs> it wasn't as easy to like walk. So yeah. they they built me and found me a six foot person tall trike. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I used to go in it and take around the ward. <laughs> <laughs> Had a helmet and oh. just go on it and very bell and cycle around the ward. But the doctors and nurses just steal it and cycle around <laughs> on it. Oh, shocking. So there's that. Um, we used to have these wee cars. Like, there was a video game on your phone that connected to like, cars and you built, you built race tracks yeah. about the rooms and... As teenagers used to do it, mm. and it was good fun. So TTT sounds like yeah a good yeah part of the. I know what you're gonna say. Story for you. Yeah, it's a good place. A good place. Okay, that's good. Um, so you spend a few months in the ward. Yeah. Up until May. May is yeah. Because yeah. it was just, un- it was one day under a year uh-huh. I stayed in. In the ward. Yes. Okay. Um. So. At this point, you were going home. Yeah. And yeah, um, I gradually got let home. Before that, so it was like day visits, then weekend stays, then I went home for the weekend and the ward shut mm-hmm. because there was a bug, so I got oh, two okay. weeks off at home, which was luxury. <laughs> so yeah, and then basically after that two weeks, I made the decision that I didn't want to stay in the ward, so. I took this decision to my doctor and just said I'm going home. Yeah. <laughs> and if him knowing me knew that he wouldn't persuade me to stay, so the week after that probably I was on my way home. You went home. Yeah. And what was it like coming home and? We had a party. Yeah, a party. Same party. We had lots of balloons. Lots of balloons. Yeah. So and then like obviously my family and that came and mm. it was nice to see everyone and. I got to see my cat. Yeah. I hadn't <laughs> seen him like over a year. Oh. Yeah, so it was nice, and it was nice to be back in one bed. Yeah, <laughs> which was the best part. Mm. Yeah, so it was nice. 
Very good. I'm saying it and stuff, it's like, I'm not enthusiastic. It was very, very nice. <laughs> but at this point, while you were at home, you were still going up to the hospital. Yeah. And what what kind of things would you have to do when you were up at the hospital? What was, was your just treatment? Get bloods taken and hey, I would get them blasting, which was a chemo. Mm-hmm. I would get through my liner. So I got that because I can, I can get it at home. So you, start. so you still had the lining at this yeah. point when you were going home? Okay. Um, so you get a few months at home um, and things are going swimmingly. Yes. Okay. Um, so And you're coming to the end of treatment. Um, so what, what was happening with your medication on the way... On the way out of the tunnel, you might say. <laughs> uh, and how did it finish? Um, so, we went up to the hospital once every four weeks to get them blasting into my line. Mm-hmm. And every night I took maintenance, chemo tablets, which, uh, I don't know actually what they were at all. Um, but they were just tablets I had to take every night, so... Um, I got my last and blast them on the 25th of June and I'd got my line taken out just before that, I realise, a few weeks before that and then I finished my pills on the 4th of July 2019. Okay, so um, then is is that for ALL? I think it is because there's another one called Vincristin and other patients get it but as well I think I don't know if I was meant to get it but it was bad for joint pain in a way I actually wasn't meant to get it Uh, don't ask me really about that I just knew I'd get Vinblastin but it was Um, yeah it was for my chemo for my cancer okay so Vinblastin's finished Vincristin no no. I didn't get that. You didn't, didn't get, get that. Okay, so <laughs> when Blaston's finished, you've... Chemo tablets. Chemo tablets are done. Yeah. Um, and so a big, fa- a, <laughs> a big part of finishing treatment... <laughs> sorry about that. A big part of finishing treatment um, is ringing the bell. Yeah. Um, so who did you have there um, when you were up? Um, well... I finished treatment in the fourth, and um, I got told a, f- mm, a few weeks before that that I was cancer free, but I still had to finish my treatment. So mm. only really my family and that knew that I was um, cancer free because I didn't announce it until I obviously finished chemo and that because it's quite confusing. Yeah. I'm still getting treatment for something I don't have, but it was. Um, the 30th of July 2019 that I rang the bell and I had basically filled the hospital. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She was so popular. Yeah. Her, All my family and every, I tried to invite every single person that treated me. So the whole of Shahalin Ward, the whole daycare, PICU, yeah. my operation team, surgeons. <laughs> TCT, theatre, and there's about a thousand other things I could say. There's all them. They should be having a day off on the 30th of July. Yeah, we blocked blocked the ward. So, like, yeah, half the wards was filled with 
people from me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, this might be quite useful because it, I know I certainly haven't been at a ring the bell ceremony. I, I don't know how common it is um, in people my age, certainly. So, so what, what happened at the ceremony? Um, well, you go in and have whoever you want there. Some people find, like like people inviting loads of people around stone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to make it like a big occasion because I'd been through hell and back. So I got everyone up and um, I had a speech. I was the first ever person to do a speech. Wow. So I had a huge speech to thank every single person. <laughs> <laughs> So it took a while to get through it, but I'd done a speech before, I rang it, because the amount of people that showed up, I wanted to kind of show how grateful I was to them all. And then my consultant, Nick, would come over to the bell, and on the bell there's like a wee, like, rhyme before you ring it, so it's like, ring this bell three times well, as I told to say, my treatment's done, this course is run, and I'm on my way. So he reads that out, or your doctor, or a nurse of your choice reads it. So I've got Nick, as he's my consultant. So he reads it, and then after they ring it, yeah, ring the bell. Yeah. And yeah, so like everyone's like filming and clapping and crying, and yeah. <laughs> and then you get a t shirt of like a wee stick man ringing the bell. <laughs> it's like, I finished, I rang the chemo bell. Oh. So you get that, and then there's just like a big, a big lot of food and drinks for everyone. That's nice. Yeah, and then photos everywhere. And yeah. So that's Quite the event. that's useful for me. I know, I know what to expect if I'm ever put in that situation. Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> so um, you've finished your ALL treatment. Yeah. Um, and everyone around you thinks you're cancer free. Um, yeah. Except for a few members of your close yeah. family. Uh, <laughs> so, but you still had thyroid cancer? Yeah. Okay. W- why did you keep it a secret? Why didn't you tell me? Um, well, obviously I became cancer-free for leukaemia in June and rang the bell in July. Mm-hmm. But on the 19th of February 2019, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, so quite a few months before all of the stuff with the leukaemia ended. But um, I decided to not tell anyone because I already had quite a lot on the plate. And yeah. if they were, like, I don't like sympathy, so, like, as much as I say I like it, it gets boring. So, yeah, I just kind of kept it. I told my close, close family and, like, my friends from the hospital and my best friend from school, so mm. they knew and like obviously teachers at my school knew yeah. about it but that was it until like I got all the sorted so then people didn't have to like worry about me or like had to like wish me well and all that it was like done mm. by the time everyone else found out I see um, and so what did you what happened after they assumably found out about well they found out okay. like Years before. Years before. Okay. So it was when I was in intensive care. So uh-huh. rewind it all the way uh, back see, so to two thousand and sixteen. So uh-huh. three years before mm-hmm. I was diagnosed, when I was getting my tracheostomy put in, yeah. which is the thing that was on my ventilator. 
I spoke about. It was they noticed I had an enlarged thyroid. So when they took a sample from it, they found it as thyroid cancer. So it's, I'm a very uncommon and rare human yeah. that was diagnosed with two cancers in the space of two months. Yeah. And they took some more of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they didn't tell me because just how much I had on my plate and obviously they didn't even know if I would make it through this battle so they thought they might as well get me to as well as I possibly could be before flinging this bomb kill on me. Yeah, yeah. So the so the doctors knew about the thyroid cancer yeah. years ago but yeah. didn't tell you because you already knew about the ALL. And yeah, and was just so unwell. Yeah. So when they told me like the years down the line, I was like, well, it was more like my peak of my health. So I was like finishing treatment that year and yeah. like getting on the road to recovery as I got. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they thought I knew. Well, the doctor told me because obviously it's a different hospital. Yeah. Miscommunication can happen, so it was more just so the thyroid cancer, and I was yeah. like, what thyroid cancer? <laughs> Yeah, so they thought I knew about it, which was a bit of a shock. Yeah, but I just took it in the chin. Special. <laughs> so, um, thyroid cancer. Yeah. Could, could you explain it to us a bit? Um, um, so, in your neck, at the front, so where a man's handle, um, uh, Adam's apple is, and for a girl, just in the general kind of middle area, when you like swallow a gob of water, your thyroid's just basically like right to the front and it's the shape of a kind of butterfly, it's just in that area and well when you have thyroid cancer it's more of a tumour so like obviously I didn't notice it because it was very small Mm. but if I like probably if I didn't have ALL it could have been years before it grew to when I noticed a lump. So it was quite lucky that they kind of caught it so early on mm. because they were oper- operating in about that area. But it's like your thyroid's in there and it controls like hormones and that. So like you can have an underactive thyroid and an overactive. So like if it's underactive, you can be like quite like chilled back and struggle to concentrate and that. And if it's overactive, you can be like extremely hyper and like, like too overactive. So yeah. Um, so you you now had to go back in for your thyroid treatment. Yeah. Uh, what was that treatment? Uh, well, because it's a tumour, it was just a surgery. So I just had to get it operated on. So we went in on the Wednesday, I think, and came out the Friday. So it was quite a quick, easy one. Because I always said that knowing me, it would be... It had been for like four months because <laughs> nothing never goes to plan, but it did for once go to plan. Um, and my doctor just operated on it, took out my whole thyroid, and mm. yeah. But like, you can get loads of treatments for thyroid cancer because if it doesn't work, you can then get radioactive iodine, which is the equivalent to chemo. Okay. Um, Post operation on the Friday, uh, how did you? Feel was at this point was everything better almost. Yeah, I just had a very sore neck. Yeah, <laughs> it was very bruised and sore. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I've got the dates. It's seventeenth of July, twenty nineteen, until the 
Uh, no, actually, it's not. Oh. <laughs> no. Yeah, seventeenth, which was a Wednesday, and then the Friday would have been nineteenth. Uh, nineteenth. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So it was, just after I finished. My like actual. Um. What's it called? Chemo tablets. Chemo tablets. Because then it brings my immune system up, so it helps me recover faster, which is the plan. Okay, cool. So, post-cancer, um, who, who did you stay in contact with from the hospital? Um, and, um, and then about your whole treatment? Um, I, well, obviously I still go up, so I'm still seeing nurses and doctors and that. Yeah. Um, but mainly I kept in contact with TCT, so Ronan, who's in charge of it and all the patients so like mm. all my new hospital gang okay. yeah because they're a good support system yeah. so um something that you've spoke about before on your instagram and social media platforms is mental health coming out of hospital yeah. um would you like to elaborate on um how you're so it was, um, well, it was, I became thyroid cancer 3 on the 6th of September, so it was probably about a month after that, coming up to my um, 18th birthday, that it was, like, realisation, because obviously I was first diagnosed at 14, so, and then I was turning 18 in, like, a few weeks, so it's, like, took up most of my teenage, kind of, years. So more realisation set in that I didn't have it because you're just so used to having it and that's what kind of makes you you. So it's as if you kind of lose somewhat part of yourself. And it's trying, like a lot of the time I spent kind of just like, I was upset for a while and I don't know, it was like I kind of wanted to go back to having it, as bad as it sounds, because it made me me. So... Like it took a, like a few months to discover that there was other traits and qualities and things to me that fill the hole of not having cancer. Like it always kind of will remain somewhat a part of me. So it's, it sounds to me like um, going through the treatment was about surviving yeah. and coming out of it is about living again. Yeah. So what can people... Learning to live again. You kind of forget how to when you're trying to fight for your life most yeah. days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What can people, friends, family, support systems do to help someone who's coming out of hospital and who's in that situation trying to rebuild their life again? Um, I think a lot of the time it was my hospital friends that helped me because they they knew what was going on. Yeah. Like so, like it was like that kind of underlying support system that. Like it was the bond of cancer that kept us together. So, mm-hmm. um, like you could speak about it to them, and like as bad as it sounded when you say like, "Well, like I wish I went back and like could have my cancer again." Like if you kind of said that to people that didn't, they'd be a bit like, "Why would you ever wish that?" Mm-hmm. But like when you have people that have went through it, they kind of get you in that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like they were like probably like the best people, but I mean like friends in school. Like done great at helping me like get back into a kind of schedule and routine and going out and 
like making sure I wasn't walked up in the house and mm. like obviously my family were great with just being there over the whirlwind we were shoved into. <laughs> um, so people you met through TCT um, were your biggest support group? In, yeah. Because they understood? Yeah. You, okay. Um, and also physically, you're having to regain your life. Um, at this point, you're in a, wheel- a wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, and you're learning to walk, go to the physiotherapy. Yeah. Um, what What was physiotherapy like, and what was it like? I'm I'm lazy, I'm so I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. I was more just like, a, well, if I can do it in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it, but I knew how to get yeah. it. But when I did things, that we knew it was rewarding, and I enjoyed that. So we got parallel bars in my hall. Yeah. That I used to walk along and had a measuring tape, and every step further that I took, I wrote it down in my wee notebook, mm. and I had like every date mm. and the distance that I would walk. But then I got bored in it. <laughs> and I got lazy. I see. So I had to find something new to take my fancy. And so you're going to the gym. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, the physio once once I got discharged, so like I did a lot there, like a lot of standing stuff and like mm-hmm. a lot of like walking in different kind of terrains and I got a granny's MR, which I loved, <laughs> and I got half once I got better walking in it, I got crutches, and then in December two thousand eighteen, I walked unaided for the first time across my living room. Home alone. Wow. <laughs> Which my parents were raging at because yeah. I felt it would have been a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but I got discharged from physio because I was an adult. So I was getting moved to the bigger section. Um, but yeah, I decided to go to the gym and it, it's been good because it's I like it better than doing it here because it's a better atmosphere. So... Um what what do you think are the main differences in before and after treatment in you and your personality? I know I know beforehand you wanted to go into makeup effects yeah, special effects, yeah. As your career path and um what were the differences in those two areas and even your friend groups? Mm-hmm. What was it like? Um well from career path it changed quite a bit. Yeah. Because uh, obviously I wanted to be special effects makeup artist mm. beforehand. Um, but now I'm a qualified early years practitioner mm. studying additional sport needs. So working in additional sport needs school and help mm. additional kids with additional sport needs. Yeah. So it was quite a major swerve <laughs> from one thing to another. So would you say the treatment and the cancer and the journey you'd been on... Um, Change your career path because you yeah. were you were no longer motivated to do the makeup or because you, no. s- you saw more of the yeah I think that side of it like I was constantly surrounded by wee children yeah and I always have liked children so like probably I realised it quite a lot more when I used to like sit waving the windows and do wee things and dance about <laughs> um and. Like, I tried to, like, figure out if that's what I wanted to do once I came out of hospital and explored it and, yeah, set it in stone that mm-hmm. it was something I definitely wanted to do. 
but it's well because I was obviously put in the wheelchair that kind of swerved me in the additional support need way of it because we are seen in a different light mm. so yeah but personality wise that was a big change too because I was as shy as anything and now I'm mm. pretty confident yeah <laughs> yeah I remember a news article coming coming out for Mabel um, when your dad did a fundraiser um, yeah your cancer girl and yeah. super dad <laughs> yeah Mabel Maverick raises money Mabel for Maverick. cancer girl yeah <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> many names I've had <laughs> bit of a local celebrity now yeah so, um, things cancer does too yeah. <laughs> um, during your whole journey um, from beginning middle and you know coming out of it again what's your highest highs and lowest lows of the um, highest high would be spend time in TCT yeah. it was very fun and Definitely like the thrill of ringing the bell. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that you always kind of like once you start treatment, that is the goal mm-hmm. to ring the bell. So it's it was definitely probably one of the peaks and something that I'll definitely remember forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but meeting meeting all my new friends as well, cause I wouldn't I wouldn't have met them if it didn't happen. So I'm lucky and I'm glad that I did get the chance to meet them. Mm-hmm. Um, and lowest lows would be dancing in death storm PICU <laughs> <laughs> and um, losing my friends to cancer and, and uh, is a swear of so if you were to talk to your younger self before any symptoms or um, sorry if you were to speak to yourself as someone who has symptoms and is about to go into hospital, about to start this whole journey, um, what would you say to yourself? Um, what, what kind of advice would you give? Um, to, I guess, like, there's always, like, the quotes everyone says to you, so they get bored in. Yeah. It's like, like, you're an inspiration, as an old one. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's one that we, we get said to a lot. And like to stay strong and all that but it's like it's okay to crumble it's okay to have bad days like you've, you've got cancer yeah. like of course it's not going to be like yay mm. happy like the the staying optimistic and then there's like staying happy for others so i think like you need to give your chance yourself a chance to accept it and process it so I'd say it's okay to be angry and frustrated and like blaming everyone else and just like angry to the extreme extent but um, like it doesn't get easier but it's like you learn to you learn that this is part of you and that in the end probably you'll not be happy about it but there'll be a lot, the pros will outweigh the cons, okay. I would say. Good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's what I say to people that, in the TCT, that are newly diagnosed, because mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm the advice guru. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so so people come to you now for advice. Oh yeah. And that's, that's that must be a nice position. To yeah, because I never had anyone like that. So I like giving people the best advice that I can. Yeah, it's it's well, it's not nice for the person going through it, obviously. Yeah. But I want to at least help them go through it as best well. I can. So we <laughs> we've been through. We we've been through it a bit in this. Um, yeah. <laughs> just to maybe lighten the mood a bit. Do you, do you want do you want to teach us some lingo from um, the hospital or from? Oh yeah. Um, cancer. TCT. References. Yeah. Um, so you get a cancer bursary, right. which is a lot of people refer it to different things. So it's used like a date linking to cancer that is of importance to you. So a lot of people could have it the date they were diagnosed. That's what I refer to it as. Yeah. So, it's your cancer anniversary. To say. Okay. <laughs> it's an anniversary of your cancer yeah. <laughs> life starting in some yeah. sense. So there's that. Then you, see so this is the first one. So you get survivor guilt, which is another mm-hmm. one, which is the reference to feeling guilty as to surviving mm. when say other people haven't. So it's a reference that you get in the hospital. Then, <laughs> then you get. You get chemo brain. Chemo brain. Yeah, it's like it's a thing that like a lot of people like heard in exams. Mm. Some word we use, and it's basically you just can't remember a lot. <laughs> so yeah, you struggle to remember. So like when you actually like pass an exam, you're like, "Good on my chemo brain." <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. and then another one is one of the favorites is PCHP. PCHP. <laughs> Yeah. And what does that stand for, really? <laughs> <laughs> Post cancer hope is. <laughs> I'm probably gonna have to cut that. <laughs> Mister Rose won't have that. It's uh, <laughs> right. a ten out of ten phrase. Oh dear. Right. Mate, every cancer patient goes through it. Absolutely. So, it should stay in. Right? Yeah. Mr. Oates. Okay. I'm very known phrase in the cancer community. Uh-huh. I have, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. So, as I sort of rounded it up, a fun finale, hopefully. Um, <laughs> do you want to give us. Fun finale to a dark, dark <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Oh, if this is the first one, it's gonna be Welcome. Oh, no. Right, um so could you name three songs or movies that hold a special uh part in your story? So we have three and three. Three and three, that's right. Cool. So what do you want first? Songs or movies? Uh let's go movies. I feel like songs is uh, Yeah, songs are good, that's what I was gonna say anyway, so thank you for choosing that. So number one, the best is the Duff. Right. The best. Because I watch this every morning at seven o'clock in PICU <laughs> every day. Wow. For like two months. <laughs> Sounds like you enjoyed it. Yeah, because my mum got to the hospital at like eight o'clock. Yeah. So when I woke up in the morning mm-hmm. and was like screaming for my mum, yeah. they put the duff on to shut me up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's number one. That's a great one. Yeah. Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. So I've watched that much, I know the script off by heart, basically. <laughs> oh, 
You had, can back me up on that. Yes, I had given Foster that one. <laughs> um, yeah, we used to love that. Then uh, Coraline. Coraline. The cartoon traumatising child film. Because <laughs> yeah. I used to watch that in PICU before I was in my city to the coma when I was off my face and drugs and hallucinate about it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Life is quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and what about songs? Um, number one is Faded by Alan Walker because when I was sedated the doctors and nurses doctors and nurses told my mum and dad to play music for me so when what year was this? 2016 summer that song came out then so when West FM or Capital was getting played that song was constantly on because it was just released and by the time I woke up from my sedated coma, it was like done and dusted and wasn't played anymore. But my smart brain, when in the coma, heard it so much that when I heard it for the first time, after never hearing it, I knew every word. Wow. Yeah. And that was the only thing you remember from period. Well, um, I don't remember it from the coma, I just, I just sang every word. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Right, number two. Number two. Finish that one. Okay. Um, Castle on the Hill by Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Because, me and, when me and my mum used to drive home from the hospital um, before we got let out, like officially, that was when that song was really big. Mm-hmm. So it was when all, we were always driving home Castle and Hill came on because it's like it sings about going home and we always just be like it's a sign <laughs> yeah so we like that song but yeah then third is 24 Carat Magic by Bruno Mars uh, <laughs> 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 because because there's a reason I find them all because my dad loved the song and I used to say to him when I can walk and stand I'll teach him the dance moves to it because I used to always do it lying in my bed when I was bedbound. Yeah. And but it wasn't as good as when you could stand and do it. And he was he was rubbish at it. So I said to him, When I can walk, I promise you, I'll teach you to do the dance moves mm-hmm. to that song. So <laughs> I've still to do it, but we'll get there. Okay. There's still a deal that we've got. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I feel like that was a good way to round it up. Yeah. Cool. So thank you very much for coming on. Thanks um, for having me. <laughs> If any of you want to check out some more stuff Aileen's yeah. done, um, head to the Instagram uh, at Aileen Mackay on Flash X. Um, Get that self promo on it. Yeah, she's she's done a few. few talks on misdiagnosis and loving life with cancer and relearning to walk and embracing a bag. So it's great, great time to my Instagram page. Check it yeah. out. <laughs> right, and um, so thank you for listening to the. Queen Margaret Academy podcast Um, and see you next time bye